And good morning, Victory Party! My wife, Carla, and I get the absolute privilege to pass this church. And again, as the Nokia said, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, just one quick announcement before we get into the Word. If you were here last week, so last week was the opening of our building, and we understand it's kind of got that, that uh, Easter Sunday vibe as everybody puts it on the counter to be here. But what was great about it is it gave us a taste of what this place is going to be like come Easter Sunday. So we're about three or four weeks away. And let me just give you an idea in case you weren't here. This room was completely packed. We had people standing. Our overflow room was completely packed, and we're still working out some kinks with our overflow room. And then we had people in the lobby watching service. And so we came away from that day going, look, if we're going to do what we want to do in this location, in this community, as you can tell, we don't even have the sign up yet. I believe that's going up this week. So nobody even knows we're here yet. And so when the word gets out about this incredible church, uh, when Easter's coming around, we know that this place is going to be packed. And so what we're doing is we're casting the vision to begin two services on Easter Sunday. And so we'll launch that on Easter Sunday and be able to make really great impact. So here's what I need from you, all right? If you are not currently on a dream team, our dream team is the best dream team in the world. You saw some of the right. uh, so we've got this entire building ready to go in two and a half weeks. Uh, and so many awesome things happening every Sunday from our production team, our worship team, First Impressions, and our incredible kids ministry. And so here's what I need from you. I need you to join an area of our dream team by Easter Sunday. Uh, when, when you start two services like that, obviously we have to do everything twice. One of the things I'm most excited about as a church is when you do two services now, our kids ministry can actually serve one service and set one service. And so for four years, listen to this, for four years, our V-Kids team, if they came to serve that day in V-Kids, they didn't go to church that day. So all they did was serve in the V-Kids ministry. And people have done it faithfully for four years. But now, because of what God blessed us with, you can actually serve one service and then set and enjoy the service, uh, the, enjoy the next service. So, in one of those four areas, I need you. So here's what we're doing. Every Sunday, between now and Easter Sunday, after this service, is growth track. Uh, Road track runs about 30, 40 minutes, and we get you all the information we need so that we can get you off the team by Easter Sunday. So maybe you have plans today, you can't make it today. If you can, go in there, knock that out. If you can't, plan it one of the Sundays between now and Easter and join the team so that we can start two services Easter Sunday. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, look at the person beside you. Look at him and say, you better join the team. And I know Easter Sunday, there's going to be so many. We're doing a series right now called Welcome Home, and we believe God's going to send so many prodigals here, especially in this area. I was talking to two people before service, and they were like, we grew up here. We grew up here. We used to do this here and do this here. And I was like, and now God's brought us all full circle for every person in this area that doesn't know Jesus. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And so the more that we can get on the team, the more we can provide two services. And then who knows what's going to happen after that. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to come up and grow check after service. You better be there. If you're not there, I'm calling your house. Okay? Uh, I'm just kidding. But wait, I just want to be able to do it together. It's going to be an awesome time. You ready for the word? Yeah. All right. You got your Bibles? Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke 15. You can look at your Bibles. You can have it on your phone or to be on the screen above. As I said, we're in a series called Welcome Home, and what we're doing with this series is we're taking the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus would often use stories to make this point uh, come across better. And so we're taking that parable of the prodigal son and we're breaking it down. And so last week, 
We talked about how it's important when it comes to the Father, the Heavenly Father, that we know the story that we're telling ourselves about the Father. Because if we tell ourselves the wrong story about the Father, then we'll have the wrong impression of the Father, and we'll live life operating by works instead of living in His grace. And so we're going to get back into that today. So I'm going to read, starting at verse 11, I'll read a little bit for you, and then we'll get into the word today. So here we go. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 starts. Jesus continued. This is him telling now the third story about something that's lost. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, his part of the estate, and he set out for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs that the pigs were eating from, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. So I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. For I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. I want to talk to you for a moment today from this idea. Praise God for the problem. How to praise God for the problem. Uh, during 2020, when all that kind of shifted, Darlene and I started getting very uh, proactive about having these family dinners with our kids. And I don't know how many of y'all make this a practice where you sit down with the children. I have a seven-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so it get very interesting. It's not like sitting at the table with adults or even teenagers. And sometimes you got to be very strategic in your conversation. My, my 12-year-old doesn't want to talk to us, right? Uh, my seven-year-old won't stop talking. And so you're just trying to figure out how to have a productive conversation with them. And one of the things that we started doing in my, it was my wife's idea, is we came up with the question, what is a high and a low from today? And so we would sit down at the table, you know, kind of going through the day and say, all right, what, what was one of your highs? What was one of your lows? And there were a couple of things that were very interesting to me. First of all, is that whether you're seven years old or you're 12 years old or you're 37 years old, every day there's a low, right? Like if you were asked about it, you could say, Man, this was the part of my day that I didn't like as much. Like, this was the low. And it's really interesting to hear lows from a 12-year-old or lows from a 7-year-old, and even how they compare to lows from a 37-year-old. But it's also important that you walk away from something that realizing that no matter what happens that day, how we look at it, we can have both highs and lows, right? Like, every day, like tonight, if you just sat down with your family at the table, after today, you said, what were your highs and what were your lows? You would have one of both. Now, one may be worse than the other, or one may you know, be heavier than the other, but the fact is, you have both. Now, listen to me. You and I have the favor of God. We have the goodness of God. Everywhere we go, we have the goodness of God. But that does not exempt us from the ups and the downs of life. You having mercy and goodness following you every day of your life doesn't exempt you from experiencing the ups and the downs. We have all at some point said this, if God is good, then why is this happening? 
right? There, there's been a moment in our life, whether you want to admit it or not, maybe it was 20 years ago, maybe it was last week, maybe it'll be in a couple of days, but you had this, and maybe you didn't voice it out loud, but you thought, you had this thought, if God is so good, then why is this happening? There's a study that theologians do, and the study is called theodicy. And theodicy is the study of how God's goodness exists right alongside pain and suffering and the injustice of life. Theodicy means that you can have the pain of life, the suffering of life, the injustice, injustice of life, and right parallel to it is the goodness of God. That's important for you and I to grasp, is that life is hard and God is good. It's to understand, watch this, that just because God is good, it doesn't mean that you are denying the tough times in life. Did you hear me? To believe that God is good does not mean that you are denying that times can be tough. What it means is that you're seeing God's goodness in the midst of those tough times. It's believing that your pain has potential. Right? It's believing that God's favor doesn't just exist on the mountaintop, but that God's favor actually also exists in the midst of the battle. It's to be able to be honest with yourself and say that sometimes I have lows, lows, sometimes I have highs, but regardless of the situation, God is good. And so for us to move from this why God concept to a thank you God concept. It has to begin with this. We have to be able to see that the famine is our friend. If we can see the famine as our friend, then we can move to a place mentally where we, whether we're having highs or whether we're having lows, we are standing firm in the goodness of God. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15 for a moment. I want to show you something that stood out to me. I mentioned it last week as to what even made me start writing this message. We'll go from there. Luke 15, we're going to look at verse 14 through 16. This is after he had spent everything. He's broke, okay? After he spent everything. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and then he began to be in need. So when I read that, here was the question that I first came to. He didn't, it wasn't so much a question as much as a statement. He didn't even need the famine, right? Like it said that he spent everything he had. So he was broke. Then there was a famine in the entire country. Then he was in need. When you read that in real time, he didn't need the famine. He was already in need. He was already broke, right? And here comes the famine. And I mentioned this last week. I immediately had that thought of, like, this might as well happen. Like, y'all ever had that thought? You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're running late to work, and you get in your car, and your gas tank's on empty, right? And you're like, this might as well happen. You know, the other day I was in a rush, and I had to hurry up and get to a meeting, and I'm trying to leave my house, and I had a shake. And I was like, well, I'll just I'll wash the cup out real quick before I go because I didn't want it to sit there. And so I'm, I'm in a hurry. I run to the sink. I wash the cup out. And while I'm washing the cup out, my ring fell off and went down the garbage disposal area. And so I knew darling would kill me. So I had to go fishing for the ring, and it made me 10 extra minutes late. Because sometimes when stuff's happening, stuff happens on top of stuff happening, right? Am I talking to myself this morning? You know, you know when something's happened, and then something happens on top of that something happening? And you're like, man, this might as well happen. 
Like, you know what I mean? I had a hard day. I come home, and now my kid wants to throw a fit, right? I come home from working hard all day, and now my water heater's out. You know what I mean? Like, this mind, everybody say, this mind is well happened. Like, mine as well. And so many of us, church, listen, we're highly educated on the life is hard reality. We wouldn't argue a bit with somebody if they, if they said to you, is life hard? Yeah, life's hard. Like, we agree with it. Life is hard. We're highly educated on the reality that life is hard, but we're undereducated on the reality that God is good. You hear what I said? Everywhere we turn, we're reminded that life is hard. Jump on social media, you're reminded that life is hard. Watch TV, you're remind- I was talking to some friends last night, and they were watching the show, and the person in the show found out that they, they had cancer. And I was like, why would we even watch that, right? Like, life is hard enough for me. I don't need fictional, or, or, or not, I don't know which one's which. I don't need fictional trouble, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need somebody that I don't even know to have problems I can feel for them. It's enough. We are constantly educated on the aspect that life is hard. But we are undereducated in the reality that God is good. And so we walk around with the understanding that life is hard, but we forget that God is good. Watch this. We tend to assume that if life is hard, then God must not be good. Right? It becomes an either-or scenario. Because we're so familiar with the reality that life is hard, we start to move into a mindset, well, that if life is hard, then God must not be good. If that happened to me, then God must not love me. If if God allowed this to happen, then God is not good. But here's the catch, church. It's not an either-or scenario. It's both. Ready for this? Life is hard. And God is good. It's both. God is is good, and, everybody say and, and, and life is hard. Let me give you some examples. Jesus did rise out of the grave, and you are trying to raise a teenager. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> you know what I mean? God is good, and life is hard. Jesus is the living water. And Andrew, your water heater did go out. You know what I mean? God is good. And life is hard. God's grace is sufficient. And your bank account says your funds are insufficient. God is good. And life is hard. And this is where I think we miss the true theology of Christ. Because we're being taught that if you're experiencing something that's not great, then God must have forgotten you. But life is hard. The moment sin came in, hard came with it. But just because life is hard doesn't mean that God isn't good. Listen to me. The presence of problems does not mean the absence of God. The absolute presence of a problem does not mean the absence of God. And this is what I think is my favorite part to teach you. We do not have to deny the realities that are associated with life is hard to be able to see the realities that are associated with God is good. See, I think in Christianity, a lot of times what we feel like we're being taught 
that in order for you to walk through life believing God is good, you must have to ignore the fact that life is hard. You know what I mean? To where Christians will be called naive. Like, how could you be happy right now? Are you just turning your, your head the other way when you look at what's happening with the virus in Ukraine? Or, are you just, do you not realize that times are hard? How could you believe that God is good? Because we think that in order for us to see that God is good, we must deny the fact that life is hard. But the Bible never says that. All throughout Scripture, here's what we learn, is that every follower of Jesus, including Jesus, said, listen to me, simultaneously, life will be hard, and God will be good. Both. Both. It's just whether or not we will see. I was sitting with uh, at dinner with some friends. We were talking, and we got to talking about the cookies concept in social media. You know what I'm talking about? This idea. I don't, I don't know if you can or explain it a little bit better. This idea that you could be looking at something or liking something, and now all of a sudden your social media is feeding you more content in that area. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's getting so bad now that the other day I was with some friends and we were talking about a, a movie made in the 80s. Talking about it. Our phones were on the table. We were talking about it. And then a couple of days later, one of my friends was on his phone and it was promoting that movie to him on Facebook. We're, we're being watched, folks. <laughs> the government's coming. The man's coming for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was just, it was mind-blowing to me. So we're talking about this and it's the idea. And, I, and the people we were talking to said it was the cookies. The only cookie I know is from Crumble, so I wasn't quite sure about that. You know, chocolate chip or whatever. But, but whatever. So it's the cookies that I can say something or look at something, and now all of a sudden social media is promoting it. And so we're talking about this. We're talking about Facebook. And watch this. One of my friends says, yeah, whoever's content you like, now social media will feed you more of their content. That, that's, what she, that's what she said. She said, if you like somebody's picture, then it will show you more of their content. And I said, well, here's the problem with that. I don't ever like anybody's content. Okay, part of that is because I'm trying to get canceled in 2022. You know what I mean? But I just don't do it. I, I love to look at your content. I look at it, but I don't like it. I don't. I don't comment on it. Right? A lot of times I don't want people to know I'm awake and available. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those situations. But but here's what happened. I said that, and my wife said to me, she said, sometimes you don't even have to like it. She said, but Facebook knows when you stop and look at it. I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Somebody's in my house. Look, if what's the dude that runs face, Mark Zuckerberg? If, if Mark knows when I'm looking at something, it's over. We're done. But I, it was so crazy. She said, she said the, the, the algorithm, all you intelligent people, you know what that means. The algorithm will actually be able to tell when you are scrolling and then you stop for a second and you look. So here's what she's telling me. The more I look at it, the more I will see content like it. Right? So the more I look at it, the more that similar content like that will come. Here's the biblical principle for you and I. Whatever we choose to look at, the more content like that will come. So it's all about what am I looking for? The more that I'm looking for evidence that life is hard, the more evidence is going to come to support the fact that life is hard. The more that might as well happen is going to happen. 
But also, the more that I look for evidence that God is good, then the more I'm going to see evidence to support the fact that God is good. So listen, it's not that life is or not hard, and it's not that God is or isn't good. It's which one we choose to stop and look at. Whichever one we wait on for a moment. Because right now, if I asked every one of you, let's spend a few moments looking at what's hard right now in your life, you have no problem giving me evidence to prove it. But if I said to you, let's stop for a second and look at evidence that God is good, you, if you were honest with yourself, would have no problem giving me evidence to support it. Because God is good. And life is hard. God promised us that goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives. It's just whether or not we look at it. It's not hidden. It's just whether or not we're looking for it. Now let me tell you another interesting truth that I've arrived at. When you find someone who is living in the life is hard reality, they have a hard time accepting good news because they don't believe that good is in their reality. If you find somebody who is, for whatever reason, hardcore in the reality that their life is hard, and you try to share with them good news, they will almost ignore or stiff arm your good news, because something in them cannot accept the fact that good can be in their reality. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, recently. We were talking about going to eat at a restaurant. And I said to him, I said, hey, let's go to this restaurant. And he said, man, that restaurant is always packed. It's busy. We're never going to be able to get in there. And I said, that's true. However, we're going Wednesday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so I think it's probably going to be less busy. He said, yeah, you're probably right. He said, but the food is so expensive. And I said, well, not really. We're going during lunchtime, and they have lunch specials, and they're like 9.99 lunch specials. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. But you know what? With the, with the current climate, they're probably not going to have enough help to support us. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, literally, every time I give you good news, you come back to me with more bad news. And this is what happens to us that are so stuck in this lifeless, hard reality that we, won't, we refuse to accept good news. That guess what? This is just a season. That guess what? You will overcome this. That guess what? God is for you, not against you. Right? That he will complete the work that he started in Christ Jesus. It's hard for us to receive God is good because we're so supplanted in the aspect that life is hard that we don't even want to hear good news. And that's what the gospel is. What's the gospel? Good news. But our culture has been trained to believe that either God is good or life is hard. And the truth is, the real gospel tells us that God is good and life is hard. You and I make it a point to look for God's goodness. We'll find it in some of the most unfamiliar I started thinking about all these Bible stories. I started thinking about the fact that without Goliath, we don't get David. You know what I mean? Like, like Goliath would have been a life is hard moment. 
But without Goliath, we don't get David, and therefore we don't see the God's glory. Start thinking about the storm with Peter, and without the storm, Peter doesn't walk on water, right? So the storm is evidence that life is hard, but Peter walking on water is evidence that God's good. Without the crucifixion, we don't get the resurrection. And then when you read Luke 15, without the family, the son never runs back to the father. So it's important for us to be able to put a purpose on the problem. When you understand that the problem has a purpose, it's a lot easier to praise God for the problem. When you see Goliath helping discover who David really is, now you put purpose on the problem, right? When you see the storm allowing Peter to be able to get up and walk on the water, you put purpose on the problem. When you see the resurrection, and you wouldn't have the resurrection without the crucifixion, you wouldn't have grace without the crucifixion, you start to put purpose on the problem. When you see that the famine is what drew, what drew him to go back to the Father, you put a purpose on the problem. What if the problem that we're facing has purpose? What, what if this whole concept that we want to get into an area where life is no longer hard? But let me ask you a question. If life is no longer hard, do we need God? Or what if the problem has a purpose? What if there's potential in the pain? What if the famine is what's going to take us back to the Father? What if the famine is our friend? What if? It made me think about Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph in the Bible in Genesis? Joseph ends up going through a lot of issues that would uh, scream the fact that life is hard. For example, he's left for dead by his brothers, and then he's sold into slavery, and then he goes from slavery, gets false accused of, of, of trying to hit on Potiphar's wife, and he ends up in prison. And it's interesting, because when you follow him, now watch this, he, his, his brothers betray him and try to kill him, then he goes into slavery, then he goes into prison, and he's not guilty of any of this. Yet the Bible, if you study the story, says this, that while he was doing these things, the favor of God was with him. The favor of, he was in prison, but the favor of God was with him. He was in slavery, but the favor of God was with him. He was in a cistern, but the favor of God was with him. And so at the very end of his story, or at least close to, he pins this sentence in Genesis chapter 50. And many of you heard it, but I want you to hear it in a different way today. All right, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says this. For you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So he's talking to his brothers who started this whole process to begin with. And he says, what you intended to harm me with, God used to accomplish something. So in one sentence, listen to this. He is both admitting that life is hard and that God is good. You see it? Life is hard. You intended this to harm me. But guess what? It was harmful. Like, you can't read that verse and assume that Joseph just kind of flew around all these places, right, and didn't experience any pain. He was in prison. <laughs> he was in slavery. He was in a system. He had real fear. There were moments where he thought he might die. Like, there was an extremity or extreme issues in this process. But he says, even though life was hard, God is still good. He doesn't deny that life will be hard, but he also doesn't deny that God is good. The, the goodness of God does not change the pain of hardship. The goodness of God exceeds the pain of hardship. 
I just I need to talk to you for a moment. Because when you hear sermons like this, what you hear the preacher saying is that God's goodness should be so great that you don't even feel the pain of your problem. That's not accurate. I guarantee you, both Joseph and the prodigal son felt the effects of their problem. That's not what they're saying. They're not saying that God is so good that you won't be upset or hurt by your problem. It says that the goodness of God is going to exceed the pain that's brought up by your problem. This was the same situation with the problem, right? The same thing Joseph said. What you intended to harm me, God used for good, is the same thing that the prodigal son could have said. What you meant to harm me, family, is what God used to save you. Go back to the Father. Now listen, I'm studying this this week, and I just want to show you that a kindergarten lesson became a Holy Spirit revelation for me. Alright? So when I walk you through this, don't, don't look past it before you get the point. It's going to sound very kindergartenish. But even though it's a kindergarten lesson, it's a Holy Spirit revelation. I'm sitting down, I'm studying, and I've got the sentence, or, or the, I, I've written down, praise God for my problem. I've written that down, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, praise, problem, praise, problem, praise, problem, problem, praise, problem, praise. Anybody here got a problem? Anybody here got a problem? Okay. So you're with me. Praise, problem, problem, praise. And all of a sudden, it hit me. You ready? Both problem and praise start the same way. Did you catch it? Somebody spell praise for me. P-R-A-I-S-E. Right? Somebody spell problem for me. P-R-O-B-L-E-M. They both start with what? P-R. So they both start off the same way. Hey, I had a problem, but when I got in the presence of God, it turned into praise, right? So I can start with a I can start saying problem, but it'll end up being praise. Did you catch it? Why are you here? I'm here because of a Before you say it, switch it to praise. So here's my thought, the prodigal son. Remember how he ran back to the father? The first thing he said was this, when I get to the Father, I'll tell him, I'm sorry, Dad, for I have sinned against you, and I can no longer be your son. He started with a problem. He came into the presence of God with a problem. But as he was trying to get it out, here's my pro, 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 problem, the Father stopped him. I told you this a couple weeks ago. He interrupted him and started giving him a ring and a rope and a padding cap, and he turned his problem into praise. So how does my famine become my friend? How can I ever praise God for my problem? When you understand that it's your problem that gets you into the presence of God. And once you're in the presence of God, His goodness changes your problem into praise. The famine is your friend when it gets you to get into the presence of God. That's what we have to understand. The problem gets me into his presence. And his goodness turns it into praise. Verse 
For some of us, there's this thing in us that kind of wants to do it on our own. You know what I mean? And sometimes we will hesitate going to the Father, just like the prodigal son did. And sometimes it takes a father to get us into his presence. I told somebody this story before, if you remember it. Darla and I, it's a season of our life, we're really busy. We hadn't really spent a lot of time together, weren't really connected. And so we had this great idea to go to Orlando for a couple of days without the kids and just be together. So we did that, it was great. And Darla, anytime we do anything like that, Darla handles everything. She handles the planning, she handles the flight, she handles the rental car, she does all of that. She's phenomenal at it. I've never once questioned her because she's always 10 for 10. So we're getting ready to fly back to Orlando. Our, my, my in-laws are watching our kids. We're sitting in the hotel. We're eating a leisurely breakfast because we've got like two hours before we even have to be at the airport. So we're sitting there. I think I'm eating a waffle. You know, they make a waffle. You know, and so it was, it was great. And just something hit me. And I was like, hey, are you sure you looked at the time right? Like, are you sure the plane, you sure we still got time? Should we rush? And she goes, no. I said, would you just check for me? Just check for me. And so she looks, and she realizes that she read it wrong, and that the flight actually left in the time she was telling us we needed to be there. And so now, all of a sudden, we're throwing bagels in the trash, we're throwing waffles at people, you know, we're doing whatever we can. We grab our luggage, we get in the rental car, we pulled up the rental car place and left all the doors open and the trunk open and left. It was just parked there. I was like, I hope nobody steals it. You know, we get to the airport, we get, we check in, and then we go, and, and the lady's telling us they've already closed check-in. She's like... Maybe you'll make it. Maybe you'll make it. We run up the escalator and we turn the corner. The security is packed all the way through. So there's, I just threw my hands up in the air. I was like, you know what? We're, we're not going to make it. And I, and I didn't think, those of you that call victory your home, you know this about me. I'm such a planner that that kind of stuff drives me crazy. And so she knew to just give me my space. So she gave me, she went and sat down on like one of the benches in the airport, and I'm walking, and I'm trying to process financially, how are we gonna get home? Do we ever go home? You know, I mean, just kind of, and, and, a real consideration. And, uh, and I look at her, and she's crying. And she's crying for two reasons. One is because she messed up. The other reason is because she's not sure how I'm gonna react to the mess up. And I don't know what, it's, it's simply the Holy Spirit. Okay? This was not Troy. It was just the grace of God. Something came over me, and I was cool with it. And I was like, let's go try to rent a car. So we go over to the rental area, and we rent a car, and we get in the car, and it's a 12-hour drive home. Okay? Uh, hour and a half flight, 12-hour drive. <laughs> a little bit of this. <laughs> we get in the car, and Darla says, there's a show I've been wanting to watch. I would tell you the show, but you might leave the church. Um, I'll tell you. It was called How to Get Away with Murder. Y'all remember that show? Yeah. Oh, you're leaving the church then. Okay. Small group of people watch How to Get Away with Murder. And so she said, uh, well, we're not trying to kill anybody, but if you don't join a dream team, it might have to happen. And so she, she put her phone up on the thing, and, and we watched the entire first season, entire first season, all the way home. And we had a phenomenal time. It was incredible. She, she was so excited about the fact that I wasn't, you know, crazy mad. We got to watch a show together. You know, it was illegal because we were driving and watching TV, but you know, nobody knew. But when it was all said and done, we still talk about it today because it began as a what? Problem. And by the time we got to Memphis, because we were living in Memphis at the time, we were praising God for it. Because sometimes it looks like a problem. But sometimes it takes a problem to get you in the presence. 
Sometimes you're so busy, and you're so busy trying to do it on your own, that what you won't do is put your hands up in the air and go into his presence. But in his presence is what turns problems into praise. And so here we are going, God, why can't it be either or? Why can't you be good and life not be hard? And God says, listen, life is hard, but I am good. And if you will just accept the problems and allow the problems to push you into my presence, then while you're trying to get the problem out of your mouth, I'll turn it to praise. And you'll be able to rejoice in God for what's happening in your life. Now listen, that's a really fun message to preach. It's so easy to send you out of here going, Ooh, my problem is praise. You know what I mean? Then you get in your car and your car won't start. You're like, I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. He ain't not making it easier. Um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm reading Luke 15. For me and for y'all, I came to this question. Did, did he really need the family? Did he need it? Did, did he need it? Because he was already in need, right? He was already broke. Did he need it? And I always study from the NIV, the New International Version. It's just, it's my version of my Bible, so that's what I study from. What I'm normally preaching from. But I just wanted to go deeper in this particular scripture, so I started reading it in all different kinds of versions. And I got to the New King James Version. And when I read the New King James Version, there was a translation of a word that was different from the translation I was reading in the NIV. And that translation changed everything for me. And I realized because of that translation, why there had to be a problem. Why it couldn't just be that he would be broke, but he had to have a famine on top of spending all that he had. And I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to break it down. All right, so here we go. Luke chapter 15 in the New King James Version, verses 15 and 16. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. Remember, he sold himself out to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine, feed the pigs. And watch this. And he would, anybody see the next word? What's the next word? Gladly. And he would gladly fill his stomach with the food of the pigs. A son who had a great father with a great inheritance would gladly settle for less than his father had for him. Did you see that? He wouldn't do it. Oh, I guess I'll have to. He would gladly settle for less than his father had if it wasn't for the family. He was broke already, but he wasn't broken. There's a difference in being broke and being broken. When you're broke, you try to figure out how to do it on your own. You'll gladly settle for less than what your father has for you. So sometimes we need a problem to push us out of our own self so that we don't settle for less than the Father has for us. Sometimes we are gladly setting in mediocrity when what the Father has is greatness. Sometimes we're trying to figure it out on our own. I'll just figure, I'll, I'm tough enough. I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's our insecurity. I told you last week, sometimes it's the story we're telling ourselves about the Father. 
But whatever the reason is, there's a lot of people today who are gladly setting in less than God has for them. And it's going to take a while to get them back into the presence of God. And once that problem is, if they'll go to the presence of God, then you'll watch as that problem becomes praised. And I'm going to teach you over the next couple of weeks what happens with the inheritance of this young man. And how he goes from eating pig slop to a fat cat. Is it possible that a problem could push us into the Father's purpose for our life. So I want to ask you a quick question before we pray close. Is it possible that what you've been calling a problem is God's way of trying to get you to come into his presence? Because once you get into his presence, he will show you how to make that problem turn into praise. Is it possible that you're settling for less than what you should be experiencing being a child of God? Is it possible that your pride, your insecurity, your pain, your anger, or even the story that you've been telling yourself about the Father has got you in a situation where here's what you say to yourself, I'll gladly stay here. But everything in you knows that it's less than what the Father ever intended. Is it possible that the family is really your friend? I think it's just a cool moment. As a matter of fact, everybody stand with me. Let's stand. We call this series Welcome Home. Part of that reasoning is because every one of these messages end with an opportunity for you to come back home to Jesus. Come back home to the Father. I love this story because of the way that the Father receives the Son. It's so incredible. It's so grace-filled. It's so love-filled. And I just think it's interesting that in both pre-coming back to the Father and post-coming back to the Father, food's involved. Anybody here like food? I'm a food person. Yes, thank you. You're my people. I work out so I can eat food. Yes, don't be mad at me. I love bread. I'm going to have some bread after this service. I think food's so important to us. Sometimes food identifies the season we're in. Right? If you've had ramen noodles, you know. <laughs> you know? Remember when McDonald's had cheeseburgers for 29 cents? Yes. Yeah, you were, you've never been richer. <laughs> have six cheeseburgers at one time trying to live it up. Some of us, sometimes, we have steak, but we can't afford it. Because we want to pretend like we're somewhere that we aren't. Right? Food has a way of kind of revealing where we are in the season of our life. Pig slop reveals one season. Fattened calf receives another. One says broke. The other one says, blessed. How do I get from broke? Blessed. Gotta be broke. There's just a moment of surrender, being able to say, Father, I'm sorry. I messed up. Sometimes it's not even that you messed up, it's that you misunderstood. Right? 
process that. So I just, I just ran away. And I was glad to stay where I was. But inside of me, I wasn't. Because I've been in the presence of the Father before. And I know what it feels like to be in the presence of the Father. And so when the problem came, he came back. And as he walked in with the problem, the grace of God met him and turned it into grace. That's the message for you today. Whatever your problem is, the grace of God wants to meet it. And he wants to turn it into trouble, grace. Father, I thank you right now for every person in this room. I pray right now for the one who's been dealing with a problem and they don't quite know how to understand it, how to communicate it. Father, they might be mad at you. What a message for them this morning. Life is hard. You didn't cause it. Sin caused it. But despite the fact that life is hard, God, you're still good. And it's your problem that brings me back into your presence. And it's in your presence where my eyes are opened and I can be led to grace. Father, you are the way maker. Somebody here needs to know that. You're the way maker. I know the problem that you're facing right now seems like you'll never be able to get over it, but he's the way maker. He is the promise keeper. Joseph thought he didn't keep his promise. But in the end, Joseph said what they intended for harm, God turned to good to accomplish the purpose he gave me years ago. He's still a promise keeper. He's still a way maker. He's still grace. He's still mercy. He's still love. He's still the Father. He's still receiving. He's still chasing. He's still looking. You're here today because he's still pursuing you. Father, I pray that just in a few moments we would just be able to worship in your presence. And that in your presence, you would start changing people's problems. Come on, would you just do me a favor in your own way? Would you just start kind of talking to God about your problem for a moment? Doesn't matter how big or how small. It's okay. He gets it. Life is hard. But be real for a second. Some of you, you've been keeping it in for a long time because you don't want to bring it up. But this is the problem between you and God right here. And in this moment, we're going to change it to praise. Father, we thank you. We love you. We want to worship you just for a moment. We want to praise you just for a moment. We want to turn that problem to praise. 